together we proclaim the good news of Easter Sunday. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. The grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. Let's turn and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church as we continue to celebrate the great 50 days of Easter. There is a friendship pad on the center end of each one of the pews, and we'd love to have you sign in and let us know that you're here with us today. There's an announcement sheet in the bulletin, Our Connections, and you'll see that this morning we our new members class is at 10 o'clock. Jerry will be leading that in Tankersley Hall, and walk-ins are welcome. You are welcome to come even if you didn't sign up. It's a one-hour class, and you're able to complete the whole process of membership in that one hour. Also, our first Peter Bible study is going on upstairs in Hills Hall at the 10 o'clock hour, too. Our book talk was discussing this Tuesday, We Are Not Ourselves. It is a story about early onset Alzheimer's disease. If you have read the book, you are very welcome to be there and help discuss that book. And also Linda White, our choral director, next Sunday morning in the 10 o'clock hour, is going to be talking to us over in Tankersley Hall about her mission trip to Cuba. It was a very unusual trip because it was a musical mission to Cuba. That'll start a little after 10, since she's got to have the choir sing a little bit right at the beginning of the service, and then she'll zip over there after that. Uh, you can see that it's time to sign up for all of our children's programs in the summer, Vacation Bible School, uh, Club H2O. They are all taking sign-ups, and you can do that online. Also, our preschool open house and annual fundraiser is coming up the beginning of May, and you can read in there how you can be a contributor to that by providing a product or a service or something like that that they can auction off at their silent auction. We are very proud of our preschool director, Ann Herzog. She was honored by the California Association for the Education of Young Children and asked to be a part of a panel at their annual conference in Pasadena. And also you'll see that on Saturday, April 30th, the Women of Vision invite you to an event at Pelican Hill at 2 in the afternoon. I need to tell you that on Friday afternoon, our member Jim Blair passed into the presence of the Lord. His service will probably be the morning of Saturday, April the 30th. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let us pray. Who is like you, O holy God? The world around us speaks of the greatness of your power and the depth of your wisdom. It is your hand that carved out the seas, that raised up the mountains, that set the sun in place. We celebrate your faithfulness, for you walk with us and uphold us in every season of life. You continually surprise us with your grace. We ask as we come to worship you that our hearts will be open and that you will meet us and speak to us afresh by your spirit. Amen. The prophet Isaiah calls us to worship. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord comes with and his, his arm, arm rules, rules for him. him. His, his reward, reward is with him, and his, his recompense before him. him. He, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. 
He will, he will gather, gather the lambs in his arms and, and carry them in his, in his bosom, bosom and gently lead the mother's sheep. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has instructed him, whom did he consult for his enlightenment? And who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? All people, All people are, are grass. grass. Their, Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And so, church, let us stand as we sing together. Eternal God. Eternal God, unchanging, mysterious and unknown. Your boundless love, unfailing, your grace and mercy shown. Bright seraphim in ceaseless light.
before the Lord for our call to confession. Thus says the Holy One, to whom then will you compare me, or who is my equal? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name. Because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, my way is hidden from the Lord? and my right is disregarded by my God. And are accounted as dust on the scales. See, he takes up the isles like fine dust. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Thank you. 
Lamb of God, we give our lives to you. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. We come just as we are. Hear now the silent confessions of our hearts. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. This This is is the good good news. In In Jesus Christ, Christ, we are are receiving the outcome outcome of our faith. faith the The salvation salvation of of our souls. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Amen. Last Sunday, we began our study of the letter of 1 Peter. Today, we pick up the letter again at chapter 1, beginning with verse 10. Hear the word of God. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours made careful search and inquiry, inquiring about the person or time that the Spirit of Christ within them indicated when it testified in advance to the sufferings destined for Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in regard to the things that have now been announced to you through those who brought you good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you invoke as father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him you have come to trust in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth so that you have genuine mutual love, 
Love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That word is the good news that was announced to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. With some of the recent earthquakes, our custodian at church, Ray, has been concerned about kind of upping the ante on our disaster preparedness. So he's been making sure that we know where all of the shutoffs are for water and for gas, and he's making sure that we know where the wrenches are so that we can do that in case there's a disaster. And we're pretty soon, the whole staff is about to have a field trip so that we all know where all of these things are and we can find them. Disaster preparedness of a different kind is what Peter is talking about in this letter, isn't he? He writes to Christians who are scattered in what we would call modern Turkey, people who live in a pagan area where Christians are on the margin, where they are not particularly welcomed, where there has been somewhat of a hostile response that is now going to be heating up because Nero has ramped up his persecution of Christians. And who knows what will happen there in the far reaches of what is now modern Turkey. And so Peter tells them what is coming. In fact, Peter himself will be martyred probably within a year of the writing of this letter. The central concern of Peter's letter is how Christians are to live in a hostile culture, live in a way that they not only survive, but that they also have a lasting impact for good on their neighbors and on the society at large. First Peter is actually one of the first early Christian documents that we have that struggles with that issue of how do we relate to the society around us. When I was in uh, seminary, one of the most important books that I read was Christ and Culture by Richard Niebuhr. Niebuhr talked about five models for the ways that in different times and places in the world, the church has related to the society, to the culture, to the government of the place that the church found itself. I found it to be very helpful because it explained a lot to me about my family and about some of my neighbors, some of the choices that some had made or were not making, and it helped me reflect on whether those were choices that I should be making or not. Um, this last week, the online version of Christianity Today had an article by Ed Stetzer, who's kind of doing a takeoff on Christ and culture by Niebuhr, and he talks about four models of the way that the church today uh, is responding to culture or could respond to the culture of the nations in which it finds itself. Perhaps you'll see yourself in one of these, Perhaps some of them will make you mad. Uh, perhaps some of them will feel like you wish that that were you. The first model, he says, is that we conform. We try to just blend in with culture. We are like chameleons. You really can't tell the difference between the Christians and the non-Christians in the culture. We become almost indistinguishable from everybody else. We drink the Kool-Aid. And you can tell that we're pretty much like everybody else. You can't tell us apart. 
This has been a popular one in all eras of church history. Remember what we read about in Nazi Germany? How some of the Christian church chose this one and in fact co-opted with Hitler, sort of baptized national socialism as though it was Christian, became indistinguishable from that culture, even within the church. This is a popular one in certain parts of the United States. I think it's a popular one in Orange County because it's very easy to just go along, just be like everybody else. Uh, every time Jerry teaches a new members class, like he's going to do next hour, he, I always hear him say, you have already this morning done something countercultural to the culture around us because you got up and got in your car and came to church and hardly anybody else is doing that. But other than that, is, is there anything that you do that's distinctive from the other people who are, live around you who don't know Jesus? I mean, do you, is anything in your neighborhood or your school or your work or the way you raise your kids or the way you spend your money or the way you spend your time or the way you vote? Maybe the way you party. Peter himself had had a little tryout of this way of relating. Remember, after Jesus had been arrested, when Peter was asked, ah, oh, you're one of his followers, aren't you? He said, no, I never knew him. He just wanted to fit in. He didn't want to stand out. He didn't want to be labeled as one of Jesus' people. And as somebody who's tried it himself, he warns, not to try to live in conformity with the old ways or the ways of the culture around us. Peter knows what he's talking about. The second one of these models is pretty much the opposite of the first. We just check out. We try to distance ourselves as completely as we possibly can from non-Christian culture. Uh, we don't go to, we don't read non-Christian books. Uh, many of us kind of cocoon with our Christian friends, maybe don't even have any non-Christian friends. We hang out with one another. It's kind of as though the church is a fortress and we're all gathered in it to protect ourselves from the world around. In some cases, the motive is to stay pure, to kind of not be sullied by the culture around us. Their extreme of this is the separatist movements, Amish, uh, the Mennonites, people who don't vote, who don't participate in any way in politics, who don't pay taxes. You probably like that one this weekend. That same sort of separatist urge to purity is what sent me to a Christian college my freshman year in college, which turned out to actually be a very bad choice for me. The motive of it can be to stay pure, not to be sullied, or it can be that the motive is just purely for safety. I mean, we certainly read about during the fall of Rome, several hundred years after Peter, that there were Christians who went to the desert, who became ascetics, who started some of the monastic communities as all of society was crumbling to stay away from that, to stay in a safe place. We also know about underground churches in places where the government is so hostile to Christian faith. We see that in China. We have seen it over the years. We know that some of it is going on in places like North Korea today. 
Certainly the upside in each of those cases, especially in the countries where there's severe persecution, is that scriptures are kept safe, Christian teaching is kept safe for the next generation. There are times and cultures where this is a really good choice. Trouble is that it removes the influence of Christians from all the rest of society. It's sort of like the salt is staying in the salt shaker where it doesn't do any good for anything else. It's surprising in the face of coming trouble that this is not what Peter recommends. He doesn't tell them to circle the wagons and to drop out and to separate themselves. He doesn't consider mere survival to be the top priority for his friends here. The third model that the church has sometimes chosen is that we combat society, seeing culture as an enemy that needs to be defeated. Uh, we've seen that over the years in the culture wars, which was more a few years ago than it is now. As we were talking about some of this, although we didn't talk about these models, as we were talking about some of it Wednesday at Jerry's Bible study, the way Beth ex expressed this one is, as though we think it's our job to shape up the culture, to get everybody else to shape up. Of course, sometimes it comes across as antagonistic and defensive. There are protests, there might be picketing, there might be letters to the editor. It's kind of sometimes as though we're trying to prove that we're right, to justify ourselves, to force all of society to behave like we behave, or to behave like we think the Bible says that we should, to legislate so that all of society does things our way. Some of that has been some of the efforts to try to legislate prayer in schools or to legislate against the teaching of evolution in schools. As a church loses its central place in Western culture and loses political power, it feels a little like a desperate scramble to stay in power and to kind of get back to where we used to be, doesn't it? It seems like this would totally fit Peter's hot-headed personality, at least as we know him in the Gospels. Certainly not an option for Peter's readers, is it? They're in the Roman Empire. Going against the Roman Empire is not going to get you very far. And often, even in societies where it's possible, it's gonna, it tends to drive people away from Jesus rather than attracting them to Jesus. There are places where it's a good thing, and I'll bet you've participated in some of it from time to time. The fourth one that Stetzer talks about is we encounter culture. We engage with culture. It's what Jesus talked about when he said that we should be salt and light within the community. Those whose lives have been shaped by Christ in all parts of life, in daily life, in our jobs, in school, in politics, live as he wants us to live, to have influence in society. The motive isn't to conquer as much as it is to redeem and to extend Christ's love into the society around us. It's what's being called today missional. And I think this is, this is the approach that Peter takes in 1 Peter, that the church is not just to survive, but to make a lasting impact on its neighbors and in the culture around it. Peter, whom we know as an impulsive man of action, at least as we've read about him when he was living years before in the Gospels, you would think would tell us to start by action, 
But instead, he tells to start us. He tells us that the place to start is in our minds. He says, prepare your minds for action in the translation that we read today. You might have a translation that says, gird up your minds. The original picture of girding up your minds is like a man wearing a long robe who, if he was going to go into action, would gather up the skirts of his robe and tuck them up into his belt so that he can move. It's that kind of get your mind ready so that you can do this. Kind of the equivalent of roll up your sleeves, but much more graphic. Don't underestimate the importance of your mind in Christian faith. Valuing the life of the mind, valuing our ability to think and to ask questions and not to have to hide from the idea of thinking at all is part of why I'm a Presbyterian. We engage with the great thoughts of society. We engage with the thinkers of society. It's also part of why we study the Bible and memorize it and study it again and again so that our thinking is shaped and formed by God's word so that we understand deeply who we are and whose we are, so that God's word becomes like a lens through which we see all the rest that we are reading and thinking about. In the years when I was in college, uh, this is after I left the Christian college, when I was in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, one of the ways we used to study the Bible is that we would type out, and that did mean, lab mean laboriously typing in those days, the manuscript of uh, the scripture. So, for example, we would type out all of the first chapter of 1 Peter. We wouldn't put verse numbers, and we would look at it without even any paragraphs and try to see what it said without having it just fall into the regular divisions that we're used to seeing. And we would take colored pencils often and circle things that we saw that were the same and draw lines between them, see where there were themes that were popping up all over the place within the text that we were looking at. If you do that for the first chapter of Peter, you will find some things that come up again and again and again. Perishable, imperishable, enduring, long-lasting, before the foundation of the world, things that wither, things that endure forever. It is a wide-angle lens that Peter is trying to get us to see through, not just focused on here and now and perceiving what's right in front of us, the things that are perishable, but including things from before the very beginning of human history and going all the way to the last day. It's an eternal perspective that Peter wants us to adopt as we begin to think about how we are going to relate to what is going on today in the culture around us. Long before human history, before the foundation of the world, God destined you to be one of his people. God destined Jesus to come into the world. Nearly a, hundred, nearly a thousand years before Peter wrote, God explained this enough to the prophets by his spirit that they wrote about it, even though they didn't really understand what they were writing, that they wrote about the Messiah who would come and about what he would do in this world and what he would do in your life and in mine. It is a big picture. You are something, you are part of something that is way bigger than you are, that is way bigger than Rome 
or any trouble that Rome can bring to you. Even the angels have longed to see what this is that God is going to do through his Messiah. And they, they don't know as much as you do about it. They are longing to see this wonderful thing that God is doing amongst us by his spirit. You're basing your life not on something that is perishable and short-term, like the grass that comes and nowadays mostly goes, at least in our yard. When we toured in modern Turkey a few years ago, uh, I realized that it is earthquake country. A lot of the ruins that we saw were ruins, uh, well, some were because of conquest by other nations, but many of the ruins were ruins because of earthquakes. So huge edifices, great public buildings, great temples, great statues, great churches had fought that you think would never, ever crumble. Great, huge columns had absolutely crumbled because of earthquakes. Things that look completely unshakable had turned into rubble. But you're setting your hope on something that was going to never crumble, on something that is going to last forever. The message you, that you have come to believe about Jesus and about what God has done and is doing through him. We think that it's very likely that some of Peter's readers were slaves at the time or had formerly been slaves. That was probably the way some of them got to this country uh, that they were presently living. They had probably been brought as slaves from somewhere else. They, had, they knew what it was to be bought and sold. They knew what, that there was the possibility of saving your very hard-earned silver or gold to buy your way to freedom, to ransom yourself from your master. Peter says, whether you have ever been literally a slave or not, you've been bought. You've been redeemed. It's slave market language that he uses with something that is far more precious than that silver or gold, the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus himself, and not because you worked hard to save it up or to earn it, but as a free gift from him. You have a new master. He has set you free. And so live in his ways. Don't keep living in the old ways like you used to. In the Old Testament, when God set his people free from slavery in Egypt and led them through the wilderness to the promised land, he expected them to leave behind the old ways of Egypt and to change and to adopt his ways. Remember, he led them to Mount Sinai. He gave them the law. And it was a very long journey of learning God's ways, learning to not only act in God's ways, but to have their hearts and minds changed into his ways. The quote that Peter is using here, be holy as I am holy, comes from those wilderness days. It comes from the book of Leviticus. It's God's call originally to Israel as they had come out of Egypt. Be holy because I am holy. Originally, it meant different. To live in the midst of all of the surrounding nations as the distinctive people of God, bearing witness by the way they lived to this God who was their master. For the children of Israel, 40 years in the wilderness, some of them got it. It was such a change from the world before. 
such a difficulty to accept and to grow into God's ways. Peter says, if you've been set free by Christ from slavery to brokenness, don't live in your old ways. Don't keep serving that old master. You've been set free to be holy, to be different, to live by the new reality, not to live by the old one. My mother, um, and there were many good things about my mother, but one of the things about my mother is that she was not a patient shopper. The last 15 years of her life, she was losing her sight, and that certainly made it worse when she went shopping, and she did love to shop, and she loved to be the one that was pushing the basket. It became quite embarrassing to go shopping with her because even when she could see people, she just expected everybody to get out of her way. And she mostly sort of plowed people down if they were in her way. Actually, going shopping with her was kind of like playing defense for her. You had to kind of go ahead and try to protect everybody from her. Yesterday, I went to Costco at 5 o'clock, an hour before closing. What part of that did I think was a good idea? (laughs) Now, at 5 o'clock on Saturday, everybody in Costco is either in a hurry like I was, or they are wasting time, killing time, probably till something they're going to do at 7 o'clock. They are eating samples, and they are standing with their baskets in the middle of every aisle. At least every aisle that I was in, There were half a dozen of them parked in the middle of the aisle. I was three-fourths of the way through the store before I realized I had become my mother. (laughs) No small children were harmed, but it was very close, I must tell you. Old ways, very deeply rooted. This being holy thing is not just about a new set of rules. That would kind of be easier, wouldn't it? But it's about God himself as the model that we're being asked to pattern our lives after, that we're being asked to be imitators of God as his children. There sure are habits that have to be unlearned, whether it's about how you shop or how we talk or how we think habits of our bodies, of our minds, of our imagination, to make way for the new habits that God would like to build in us. N.T. Wright says it's sort of like a self-taught tennis player. Uh, Once a pro gets a hold of her, she's got a lot of habits that she needs to unlearn, habits that feel totally natural because it's the way she's always played. So she has to unlearn all those things that feel natural And there's a whole bunch of new habits that she needs to learn. And when she first does them, they don't feel natural at all, even though they are what she needs to do in order to eventually be a success. New habits feel so strange at first that become eventually habits of our hearts and minds. It's a lifelong process, gradually growing more and more so that we don't default to our old ways, but that we allow God's spirit to shape us into his ways. Holy, who'd have thought? It doesn't work if you do it on your own, you know. You need the Holy Spirit, but it also doesn't work 
if you expect the spirit to just do it magically anyway. It's more of a matter of cooperation between you and the spirit, isn't it? The spirit reminds you a fourth of the way through Costco, and you listen or not, and then you need to make choices again and again to listen and to do this new habit that doesn't feel at all natural. Gradually, this putting on of the new qualities eventually will transform our character at the very deepest level. It's a lifelong thing, isn't it? No matter how old you are, you're not done yet. And eventually, some of God's ways will begin to feel like they are coming naturally. So Peter, who started with transforming our minds, is now calling for the implications spelled out in the way that we behave, transforming our whole lives to be God's people. As we let God's wide-angle perspective of living in a world that is imperishable, of knowing who we are and whose we are, we let that work its way deeply into our identity so that we're called to engage the world for the sake of the world, to be God's people right in the midst, to be living in ways that are holy, that reflect the God who has set us free. Thanks be to God. Amen. We respond with the words of the brief statement of faith, which is part of our um, confession, book of confessions, part of the constitution of our denomination. Let us stand and confess our faith together responsively. We trust in the one triune God. We trust in God the Father. We trust in God the Son. We trust in God the Holy Spirit, everywhere the giver and renewer of life. The Spirit justifies us by grace through faith, sets us free to accept ourselves, and to love God and neighbor, and binds us together with all believers in the one body of Christ, the Church. The same Spirit who inspired the prophets and apostles rules our faith and life in Christ through Scripture, engages us through the word proclaimed, claims us in the waters of baptism, feeds us with the bread of life and the cup of salvation, and calls women and men to all ministries of the church. In a broken and fearful world, the Spirit gives us courage to pray without ceasing, to witness among all peoples to Christ as Lord and Savior, to unmask idolatries in church and culture, to hear the voices of peoples long silenced, and to work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. In gratitude to God, empowered by the Spirit, we strive to serve Christ in our daily tasks and to live holy and joyful lives, even as we watch for God's new heaven and new earth, praying, Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated, and let's bring to the Lord our morning offering.
chorus. We're going to sing Refiner's Fire, Our Hearts, One Desire. Sing together. Refiner's Fire, Our Hearts, Our Hearts, One Desire is to be Almighty God, through Jesus Christ, your never-failing love satisfies our needs. 
and shows us the way to follow you. Let our lives reflect this love and so return to you all praise and glory by all that we say and do. We look to you to bless these offerings that we might continue to preach the gospel, encourage your people in their faith, and to empower your people to make a difference in this world. We ask this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be Just as we are, we come to this table, not because we have earned or deserve the right to come to this table, but here we are reminded in the elements of the bread broken and the cup poured out that we have been ransomed, ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ, purchased in the marketplace to be set free from the powers of sin and death in order that we might walk into newness of life in Him. This table is the reality of the cosmos. In Him we live and move and have our very being. And Jesus said, people will come from east and west and north and south and sit at table in the kingdom of God. So we come this morning to lift up our praise, our prayers of thanksgiving for this precious gift of God's salvation. Let us pray. We give you thanks, Almighty God, through your beloved servant, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent in these last times as Savior, Redeemer, and Messenger of your will. He is your word, inseparable from you, through whom you made all things and in whom you take delight. Remembering, therefore, his death and resurrection, we set before you this bread and cup, reminding us of his body and blood, thankful that you have counted us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you as your people, whom you love and you've called friends. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon each one of us, a community of faith, gather into one all who share these holy mysteries, filling us with your presence and confirming our faith together, that we may praise and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ, the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, 
This is my body given for you. Do this remembering me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our ushers will bring you a row at a time. We invite you to come. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and commune. Return prayerfully down the side aisles to your seats until all have been served. But our elders, please come and join us.
On Christ the solid rock I stand. Church, let us begin and sing that song together. Verse 1 and 4. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen. 